Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine, and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. The 1960s saw many great middle-distance thoroughbreds around the world, and high up amongst them was Vaguely Noble, who more than any racer at the time showed that horses shouldn't really be assigned nationalities. Horses sold for record prices at auction have something of a mixed record. Seattle Dancer, who sold for over $13 million in the mid-1980s, was a Group 2 horse at very best. And few will forget the farce that was Snaffy Dancer, bought for over $10 million in 1983, but so appallingly slow on the training grounds that it was deemed too embarrassing to ever race him. Fortunately, it wasn't always that way. When two-year-old Vaguely Noble was sold at auction for a then-record $342,500 in 1967, it actually turned out to be a bargain, as he would prove himself to be unquestionably one of the greatest middle-distance horses to run in Europe since the war. The reason for his going to auction in the first instance had a déjà vu ring to it, namely the breeder of a great horse tragically dying before they ever get to see their hero become a champion. Consider the first Duke of Westminster passing away in 1899 before his great filly Scepter ran, or perhaps even more poignantly when one-off Italian legend Federico Tizio died before his masterpiece Rebo ever saw the starting gate. So it was with Vaguely Noble, bred by quirky textiles magnate and unrepentant Yorkshireman Major Lionel Holiday. Even his friends called him irascible, grumpy and vinegary. Nevertheless, he knew his horses, and spent two decades building up an old-school breeding empire similar in scale to Lord Derby and the Aga Khan earlier in the century. Petulant yet wily, he once stood up for himself when challenged as to why he dispensed with his trainer so quickly. They come to me on bicycles, but they all leave in Bentleys, he said. Yet none of us is immortal, and when the Pearly Gates beckoned Major Holiday in 1965, the huge death taxes meant eventually selling most of his bloodstock in 1967. But by then, Vaguely Noble had already caused a significant stir. Sent into training with Walter Wharton, he initially turned few heads either in looks or on the gallops. Coupled with his unfashionable pedigree, by Sir Winston Churchill's Vienna, out of Niarco mare Noble Lassie, no one bothered to enter the rather plain colt into the classics. He ran very green, but promisingly, on his first two races, running a close second in maidens at Newcastle and at Doncaster. But then something clicked, and Connections realised that he liked to run on quite soft ground. It didn't just improve him, it transformed him into a world-beater. With top Australian jockey Bill Weary Willie Williamson on board, they decided to try him out in the seven furlong sandwich stakes on soft ground at Ascot. This was not the kind of race usually won by 12 lengths, but somehow Vaguely Noble did, and the British racing scene sat up and took notice. A fortnight later, he stepped up in class again, this time for the Group 1 Observer Gold Cup at Doncaster, England's top two-year-old race over a mile. Despite being boxed in on the home straight, the massively improving colt made light of the yielding ground, 
and produced a devastating run to win as he pleased by seven lengths. This was a juvenile of very rare ability. It was at the end of that year that he was sold at auction, where anticipation was sky high, with the Sporting Life newspaper asking the simple question, what price runaway vaguely noble, as its headline. The record UK auction price at the time had stood since 1932, when Solario went for just under £45,000. Yet here, the bidding started at £76,000, with the gavel eventually knocking down at £129,000 to American couple Robert and Wilma Franklin. There was something quite bizarre about it, as Robert Franklin, who had made his fortune as a plastic surgeon to evergreen Hollywood stars, had only bought his first racehorse four months previously. To call it a gamble was an understatement. Amid fanfare, the superhorse was sent into training with Paddy Prendergast in Ireland, but that only lasted a matter of days. Behind the scenes, the underbidder at the auction, oil billionaire Nelson Bunker Hunt, had smoothly talked the Franklins into selling him a half share. They acceded and agreed in the process to have him sent over to be trained by Etienne Pouli in France. The rationale was no slight on top trainer Prendergast, but more an indictment of the realities of prize money. With such a huge outlay paid for the cult, only France amongst European countries offered the winnings that could help recoup the cash. Comparable races in France at each level were worth on average four times more than in the UK. More specifically, with no UK or Irish classics having been entered, there was only one race that his year was to be geared at, the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. Pulley, who had masterminded Seabird just three years earlier to immortality, must have thought all his Christmases had come at once. Pulley therefore plotted a long but easy season for the colt, now a tall, strong bay, starting in April with a facile victory in the 10 furlong Prix de Guiche at Longchamp. They then needed to prove that he definitely stayed the 12 furlongs, so he was tried in the Prix du Lys at Chantilly, where he hacked up by eight lengths against an above-average field. Connections were feeling confident that their gamble had paid off, so decided to next pitch him against older horses over the extended 12 furlongs of the Grand Prix de Saint-Cloud. It was clear to all that he should have won, but his jockey for that race, Jean Desforges, was going through a period of exaggerating his waiting tactics and misjudged badly, leaving Vaguely Noble far too much to do. He still came a close third behind very useful older horses Minamoto and Hopeful Venture. Not too put out, Pulley gave his charge a short break before returning for his arc warm-up in the 11 furlong Prix de Chantilly at Longchamp, this time with Bill Williamson back on board. Despite being a trial, it had the line-up of a championship race, with eight-length Prix d'Espérance winner and French Guineas hero Zidane setting a strong pace round the turn. But Williamson's cool tactics saw him breeze past, and he passed the post four lengths clear, easing up, with top-class horses toiling behind. The stage was set for the arc, but Vaguely Noble wasn't going to have it all his own way. As he had prepped his way in France towards the autumn showdown in Paris, across the Channel, another cult had been setting the courses alight. Sir Ivor, trained by Irish master Vincent O'Brien, had taken both the 2,000 guineas and then, with a show-stopping late burst, the Epsom Derby. Despite close tactical defeats in both the Irish Derby and the Eclipse Stakes, he was rightly considered a major threat to Vaguely Noble's claim to the European throne. Two top horses therefore met, with a no-excuses backdrop. Indeed, 
It was a stellar lineup all through, with seven winners of 11 classics taking their chance. With the cut in the ground that he liked, Vaguely Noble was made marginal favourite, and two and a half minutes later, confirmed it spectacularly. With two furlongs left to go, Williamson asked for his effort, and his colt bolted clear. Survivor was right there, quickening as usual under the whip, and was the only one who was close to keeping up with Vaguely Noble's remorseless hands and heels gallop. But at the post, they were separated by three lengths, well clear of the others. In most other seasons, Survivor, the best I've ridden, according to jockey Lester Piggott after the Epsom Derby, would have been a worthy champion. And he went on to frank the form emphatically by winning both Newmarket's champion stakes before crossing the Atlantic and ploughing through the mud to win an incredible Washington DC international. But there was just no escaping the fact Vaguely Noble had defeated him fairly. Acknowledged by Sir Ivor's owner, Raymond Guest, Sir Ivor ran the best race of his life, he said, and was beaten by the best horse in the world. There were few arguments. Thus, the gamble to buy this electrifying two-year-old had paid off handsomely, with the owners sadly, but understandably, deciding to cash in their chips and lead him to a lucrative life at stud in Kentucky rather than risk his star aged four. Syndicated for a world record of $5 million, he continued to show what a sound investment he had been, providing globe-trotting champions Dahlia and Excella amongst over 70 graded stakes winners. Perhaps more than any horse we discuss here, Vaguely Noble makes a mockery of the continued insistence in some circles to assert a nationality on a racehorse, as though this splendid breed has any concept of passports. Bred in Ireland, trained in England and then in France, owned by Americans and ultimately ridden by an Australian, all this was some time before the truly global age of flat horse racing. He may have stamped his authority as an all-time great in Europe's biggest race, but ultimately, as with so many heroes we discuss here, the fabulous feelings Vaguely Noble sparked from his magnificent victories belong to all of us. To find out more about Vaguely Noble and other greats from the past, check out my book, Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world and share the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening.